Hi, this is Amanda Dolan, and welcome to The Mental Society. In today's episode, I am joined by Matt McCann. Matt is one of the nation's leading specialists on long-term care insurance products, long-term health care planning, caregiving, and the political impacts of that. He has submitted testimony to the U.S. House and Senate committees um, on long-term care's impact on the finances of American families. He's also recognized by the American Association for Long-Term Care Insurance as one of the top specialists in the country. And Matt recognizes the value of affordable long-term care insurance and its positive impact on American families. Um, you know, I kind of spoke about this and from experience, um, long-term care in nursing homes is expensive, right? Absolutely. Um, and without insurance, what, I mean, we're looking at what, four, five, six thousand dollars or more, depending on the level of care needed. Well, first off, it's important to understand most long-term health care is not delivered in nursing homes. Okay. And, and this is a change that has been a gradual change in the last 10, 15 years. And I think the fact that most people think long-term care is nursing home is why so many people avoid the topic close their eyes to it until a crisis occurs. Most long-term health care is actually delivered at home. And then you have adult daycare centers and assisted living, of course, memory care, and then nursing homes. So when we talk about long-term care, don't always think about nursing home. That's the last place anyone really wants to be. Now, there are some situations where people have to be in a nursing home, but when we talk about long-term care, we're talking about a much broader scope. And the other thing, Amanda, and it, by the way, glad to be on your show. I'm really happy to be here. Um, the, the impact of long-term health care is more than just financial. Yeah. The consequences are placed on the family. I... And often, since families don't want to talk about this issue, when the time comes when a parent and uncle, grandparent, whomever needs help with activities of daily living or, or supervision due to memory loss, there's a family crisis. What do you do? What are you saying that health insurance or Medicare doesn't pay for this? People just don't understand the consequences of long-term health care. And often an adult child, usually a daughter or daughter-in-law, gets thrown in to be a caregiver. They're yeah. untrained. They're unprepared. They're what we call the sandwich generation, where they're, they're taking care of kids. They're taking care of their career, their, their spouse, their other family responsibilities, and being a ca caregiver. It's tough. It is emotionally and physically demanding. And I, I'm going to speak my experience with my mother, who um, she just agreed to move into a, you know, a, not um, a retirement community. Independent living? Yes, independent yeah. living. She's got okay. an apartment, you know, food on site so she doesn't have to cook, social interactions. Um, she's put this off for far longer than we had hoped um, just because at the time that we first looked into this, it was about four years ago. And uh, my sister was in Colorado. I live in Texas. My mom was in Kentucky. Wow. So 
a thousand miles or more between all of us made the plan of how do we take care of mom that much more difficult and complicated, right? We weren't there, one, to see her everyday life um, or to help her plan for that move. Um, and she flat out refused. We gave her a choice, Texas or Colorado. She said, I can't handle Texas summers. So up to Colorado, she went. Um, and it was nice for a while because she was, you know, we could check it. My sister could check in on her. Um, but then my mom stopped sharing things about her health. And um, it became clear that she needed assistance. Um, and she fought it all the way um, until all of a sudden she decided it was time, which is fantastic. But I think one of the big reasons that she didn't want to go into, you know, an independent living facility or even have anyone come in to help her, it felt very much like she didn't want to lose her independence and her freedom. So what do you think about that? Is that a common thing you see when talking to people about their long-term care plans? Well, first off, that's that's really one of the reasons why people want a plan because they want to maintain their independence. But what's interesting is that even with people with long-term care insurance, you find a level of denial that they have about their health, their well-being, their ability to do things on their own. Now, mm -hmm. we're talking about people that actually have a policy and can easily afford quality care in any setting that they want. And I'll give you a, an interesting example that didn't happen that long ago. So I get this call, an older woman, uh, policyholder, her and her husband, uh, and her two daughters were on the phone. The husband wasn't on the phone, just the wife and the two daughters. So I immediately think, okay, something's going on. So they tell me that the husband, uh, who was at that point 80, 79, 80 years old, had had a stroke. They wanted to get the process of the claims in place. So as we're getting information, I asked the casual question, well, gee, when did the stroke happen? Long pause. Answer, three years ago. And I go, three years ago, what have you been doing for the last three years? So what happened is the between the wife, who was three years younger, so she's not very young, right. and the two daughters, they became the, the caregivers. And the daughters were saying they took time off work, back and forth, helping their mom take care of their dad. And, and yet go, they had paid for a service already. Oh yeah. They had a policy. And meantime, during the three years, they're still paying the premium on the policy. So I asked him, well, why didn't you call me three years ago? Well, we wanted to save the policy for a rainy day. And I'm thinking to myself, it was pouring three years ago. Mm -hmm. And what I think it is, is just a level of a denial that many of us have about ourselves. One of the biggest fears I think most of us have is that that fear of, of losing it a little, mm -hmm. that we're not going to be completely independent. And then we start exaggerating in our, our heads. Oh, I, I forgot my keys. Oh, no. That must mean I have dementia. And then I can't tell anyone that. 
You know, so we go from one extreme to the other, right. none of which is based in reality. And then we start closing up and not sharing, you know, what happened at the doctor's office. And one of the things I think is absolutely critical for older adults is to be able to share what's going on in their health mm -hmm. with their adult children, or at least one, if not the entire oh. family. It's like they're embarrassed. Health is not something to be embarrassed about. Now, it's, Yes, that's, you know, one of the things, especially once the pandemic started and people were not allowed to go with my mother to some of her health care, her doctor's appointments, she was actually kind enough to record them so that we could listen um, to the doctor. Uh, and then my sister was able to go. And sometimes um, we would... FaceTime so I could be in the room um, and other times that just wasn't possible. But um, yeah, it was interesting to um, how my mom heard information versus how my sister and I heard information. And there was one, I wasn't on the, the phone, but it was with my mom's cardiologist and my mom has congestive heart failure. And my mom, you know, said, oh, so I can recover from this after the doctor had spent, you know, 15 minutes talking about expect more hospital visits. These things are going to happen. And what my mom heard was, if I take care of myself, it won't get worse or won't get, you know, as bad quickly. And so the doctor is on his way out and she's like, oh, so I can recover from this. And the doctor, my sister said, literally just two steps back and sat back down on his stool and was like, I was not clear. Um, and so if my, you know, I wonder if my sister hadn't been there too, one, would I have known that that conversation had happened? Would she, my sister have known? And would my mom have told us any of those things? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but I know for my mom, even after she'd had several surgeries, we wanted to get her um, just help with laundry, you know, not any like real long-term, you know, not specialized care um, because she had fallen twice while moving laundry around. She's front loading laundry or washer and dryer. Um, and she fought that. And this is a woman that could afford the, you know, $20 an hour, five hours a week, which was all she really needed. Um, and so that was really frustrating to my sister and I, that she would continue to fall. She wouldn't use her oxygen like she was supposed to. So with that, what what's the benefit then of starting that long-term care in the home early? Well, when you start getting care right away, you're going to enjoy, first off, a better quality of life. You're going to be able to maintain the, the health issue a little bit better because you're getting the appropriate care right away. Obviously, you know, you don't wake up tomorrow with Alzheimer's. You don't wake up tomorrow needing 24 seven care. Now there, there are accidents and massive strokes that, that cause that. Right. Most of it is, is gradual. And most human beings will just delay, avoid, deny until it gets to the point where it's really bad. And then now you need a lot of care and your quality of life is diminished dramatically. Right. If on the other hand, you either have 
long-term care insurance or you have financial resources, combination of both, you get the appropriate help and assistance, you're going to delay that decline. And by doing that, you're going to be able to maintain more independence. You're going to be able to stay in control and enjoy a better quality of life. A lot of people have the assumption that when they need help and assistance, whether it's due to a chronic illness, aging, what have you, that their quality of life is now gone. And the fact is, if you walk into an assisted living facility, uh, for example, independent living is sometimes attached to assisted living facilities, you're going to see a lot of people with smiles on their face having a good time. Mm -hmm. So when my mom eventually went into assisted living, kicking and screaming, of course. By day three, she was the queen of trivia. You know, she was involved in every game activity that was going on. She had a group of friends that met for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. She had fun. She had been more isolated at home, getting care at home, then she did going into the assisted living where not only did she get better quality of care, but the environment, she was less isolated, more friends, more interaction. And that isolation is not good for our physical health or our mental health. And when I talk about mental health, I'm talking about both your, your overall mental status as well as the cognitive issues right. that can accelerate because of isolation you know i my grandmother died at 106 weeks old um and she was cognitively very very you know with it i am convinced that she was cognitive like her cognition was so good because she played bridge several times a week absolutely for like forever basically and so using her brain because she was interacting with people, helped her be present for longer, right? We think about that mental decline. She was 100, and at her 100th birthday, we went on a, she lived in Chattanooga, and we went on a carriage ride, and she was pointing out buildings and telling us stories, and she was 100. I mean, this was her 100th birthday, and I have trouble remembering some of those kind of stories in my own life. Um, and so when my mom moved to Colorado, she moved in um, March of 2019. And my mom is is a pretty um, introverted person. And she kind of struggled in that first little bit making friends. Um, and then the pandemic hit, right? So she went, you know, locked down, no interaction. And she called me last week to tell me that she was looking into go- moving into this facility um, she was talking about, oh, I went, um, and I've eaten dinner there a couple times. And then she starts telling me about the stories that these women that she sat with were telling her. And all of a sudden, this is the first time my mother has talked about people other than her family, right? In three years. And for me, as her daughter, I was like, oh my gosh, like how much is her quality of life going to improve? Even if all she does is have these conversations at dinner and has no other interaction with anyone else 
you can't you can't underestimate that. I mean, how many people have you heard about? Maybe personally known. You know, they work their entire life. They can't wait to get to retirement. They retire. They stop working, and then they're gone. Yes, because they didn't do anything in their retirement. They went from working every day, getting dressed, getting their shower, interacting with other human beings to sitting on the couch, doing nothing, being isolated. That's not good. I'm not saying you have to work to your dad, but you have to be active and engaged with life. And, and I think like for my mother, when she was living, you know, in Kentucky, she was in, involved in her church. She was involved in several nonprofits that, you know, she had been connected to for a long time. And when she moved, she didn't have those same things anymore. Now, my sister and I felt better because we knew that, you know, we could check in on her and, and ensure that she was well cared for by, you know, caring for herself. And, um, you know, and another, you know, you talked about that, like, we are relational people, like humans are, are, are built to be in relation with others. We're, we're social animals. Absolutely. And when you're stuck at home, you are missing almost like, you know, if you look at that, you know, Maslow's hierarchy, right? It, after you get through the food and the shelter, like those basics, relationships, and, you know, that is one of our top needs. So it makes sense that mental health would be impacted when we're not interacting. You know, technology has, and and I think one of the good things, if there's a good thing about the COVID-19 virus crisis that uh, we seem to never get away from these days, <laughs> um, one of the good things is the ability for more people to use technology in a way to remain social, even if they are, quote unquote, more isolated. For example, okay, you're where you are in Texas, I'm in the Chicago area, we are interacting, I see you, you see me. Now, some people may be only listening to us, but right. we have a video connection, okay? Uh, I have the iPhone, we can FaceTime, okay? Right. And you can do this with grandchildren, your own kids, your friends, it doesn't matter where in the world they happen to be. My sister lives in Ireland, okay? When she calls me, you know, whether I wanna see her or not, there's <laughs> her face on the phone, okay? Her kids can come on, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and that's not to say that the real social interaction should not exist. Mm -hmm. But just because you are not close, physically close to an individual, doesn't mean you cannot use technology to interact socially. And what's neat is you now can see the individual, okay. When when we were younger, okay, uh, yeah. some of you may remember, the, you know, Dick Tracy and his, you know, phone on his wrist. Guess what I have? I've got the phone on my wrist now. Yeah, it's amazing how far technology has come if it's used properly to stay engaged. Yeah. And I'll, I'll give you another thing that I uh, suggest to older people. My older clients will call and they're telling me about stuff. And I'm not a big game player, but, you know, at night, sometimes I'll get words with friends out and yeah. out. things like that. And there's Scrabble. There's tons of little games and stuff. 
And sometimes, yeah, it's a waste of time, but other times it's good interaction to keep the mind. Are you going to watch another, you know, episode of some soap opera on TV or engaged your mind actively? Right. And I think that engagement is absolutely critical when we talk about aging. You know, once we hit 40, we need to pay attention to aging. And certainly at our age, we don't think of ourselves as being quote unquote old, but we're on the road. The ramp to being old is coming up. The roadsides are telling us, and you can't ignore being prepared for the impact and consequences of aging. You know, I'm, I, I love my, my children, um, but they said some stuff over the weekend or two weekends ago that I just, I wanted to, one of them said, you were born in the 1900s. And I thought, I'm <laughs> so old. But I mean, not untrue, but like there was something about the way it was said that I was like. Yeah. Well, okay. So some of us had had grandparents that were born in the 1800s. And when we were kids, grandma was born in 1897. Oh my God. How old is that? It's all a matter of perspective. Oh, it is. Um, yeah. But then I, I honestly don't remember which child it was. Um, had looked at something and they were like, you know, mommy, the like life expectancy is like 80 years old and you're 43. See, like you're past middle age now. Go away, go away. <laughs> you And oh crap, right? Like there was a little bit of both of this, um, you know, and, and the, I've been working on my retirement planning as well. Like, you know, my financial retirement planning and how am I going to ensure that I have enough income to live the life that I want to live, that I can retire early enough to feel good to travel and, you know, all of those things. Um, and so that, and that's something that was drilled into me. And there's something about, I'm sure like with having long-term care insurance that there's kind of a weight off of your shoulders knowing that you will be able to have the money that you want to do the things you want, but also that your children and your grandchildren will not have that financial burden as well. And again, it, 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 and I, I can't emphasize this more, you know, long-term care certainly is a cash flow issue. We want to address the cash flow problem that long-term health care creates, but it's also a family issue. Mm -hmm. And the impact on family and finances is really tremendous. And I don't care if you live on the, you know, the right side of the tracks or on the wrong side of the tracks. We all get old. Aging is a reality and it's expensive for everyone. Now mm -hmm. we all have different quote unquote problems, when I talk to very affluent clients, their concerns are going to be a little bit different. Their money is often tied up. Okay. It's in businesses, it's in mutual funds, stocks, whatever accounts. And there are tax complications and all sorts of problems using your own money to pay for care. The self-funding is expensive, even if you are wealthy, but there are still complications for the rest of us humans it can be financially devastating. And of course, quality care comes with money. 
health insurance, including Medicare and Medicare supplements, pay little or nothing toward most long-term health care. Mm-hmm. Medicaid is the medical welfare program, and it will only pay for long-term health care if you have little or no income and assets. So we want to protect assets and right. ensure quality care because the quality of care with Medicaid is mediocre at best. Well, you know, I think even myself, like when I've, when I've walked into assisted living or nursing homes, this is, you'll understand what I mean. I think you can smell the difference between ones that are, have higher income, more, you know, I guess insurance paying versus Medicaid. And that sounds terrible, but I think that most people, when they're hearing me right now, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Like it smells different. Yes. And, and let's kind of address why that is. It's not that people don't care. Now, certainly they, some of these people yes. have staff that doesn't care, but overall it's not because people don't care. But the, the government reimbursement for Medicaid is so low, the staff to patient ratio is much higher. Right. So it's tough, okay? And there's really no easy way to address this unless, of course, people want to pay larger and larger amounts of taxes. Or for those of us that can plan, you plan ahead. But a lot of people fail to plan until it's too late. I get tons of phone calls and emails and all that kind of stuff from someone, oh, my mom just went into a nursing home. We need to buy insurance for her. (laughs) And I go, wait a second. If your home was on fire and you called State Farm and said, we need homeowners insurance because my mom's house is burning down, what do you think State Farm would say? Or Allstate or Nationwide or whomever. They'd say, well, once you rebuild, give us a call. We'll insure that new house, right? Right. Insurance is management of if, management of risk. And if you already need care, how much would an insurance company have to charge you to pay for your care? Well, the same price that they're paying for your care. Well, and plus a little bit more, right? They need a pro, right? But I mean, I mean, insurance companies are not welfare agencies. Okay. What they do is they take everyone's money, they pull it, invest it, and they they know exactly what they're going to pay out. And most insurance companies pay out a tremendous percentage in benefits to get a, you know, a return on investment. And there you go. And they can do things with money with the the rule of large numbers that we on our own cannot. Great. Okay. But you can't expect to buy insurance right. once the fire is started. Same thing when we talk about long-term health care. Um, and that makes right, so much sense when it comes to the planning and the preparing um, and, and the, talking about it with your loved ones well in advance of needing that and what your loved one wants that to look like even. Family conversation is essential. And it's amazing to me how many families don't want to talk, uh, at least about anything personal, uh, you know, People are closed off. I'm not going to tell you about family history. We don't talk about those things in this family. Like they're embarrassed about, you really need to know family history, your family health history. You need to know it. Okay. It's important. You know, if you have living grandparents, you need to ask them about 
their parents and their parents' parents. Things tend to run in families. Uh, now, that doesn't mean if it doesn't uh, happen in your family, it's not going to happen to you. But having this understanding is beneficial. Making sure family history, not just health, but all of family history, is important. Okay? We learn from history. Okay? I, I love history. Okay? Most people don't. That's why we tend to repeat mistakes over and over because we don't learn from the past. So we've got to communicate with families. If you have wishes and you don't tell anyone what your wishes are, how do you, do they expect mind reading? No, you got to tell them. And here's the other thing. Sometimes adult children, especially younger ones, will say, don't worry, mom and dad, we'll take care of you. They have no clue what that means. None, unless you have been a caregiver and helped someone in and out of the bathroom using the toilet with their personal hygiene. It's difficult and emotionally draining. I, you know, shared that my, my grandmother was 100. Um, shortly before she, she died, I, I was visiting her with my kids. And uh, she had full-time help in her home, which was really more laundry, changing, but some helping with bathing and, you know, going to the, getting on the toilet and off the toilet safely. But we were out and didn't have her uh, personal care person with us. And so she asked me to help her go to the bathroom. And that five minutes, it was hard to watch this woman even though I knew she was 99 and she was older, I'm still emotional about it. Not be the woman that I remembered growing up. You know, it shifted how, like, clearly it's emotional to know that your loved one is not the same as they used to be. Um, and so I think, yeah, like this idea of I'll take care of you. Well, like for me, I don't have a room in my house right now for my mother to move in for me to take care of her in that way. And also how is my emotional well-being and my children's going to be um, when maybe I'm not getting as much sleep because I'm needing to take care of my loved one, watching someone that was strong, right? Need help. Like also my, my father died when I was 19 of cancer and my last visit home, he fell and I needed to help get him up. And again, here I am 19. My father went to the bathroom and he was on the bathroom floor. And that was, I knew he was dying, right? I knew that that this was the last time I was going to see him. Um, and it broke me again, watching this man that was my father on the bathroom floor. And so I think that also, I think there's a piece of, embarrassment and fear and discomfort for the individual that's requiring that help as well. Oh, absolutely. The care recipient is just as embarrassed about the role reversal as you are as a caregiver, because, you know, if you're a parent, you know, you took care of your kids, you did, I mean, that was your role. And now all of a sudden, Right. Your child 
is wiping your butt. I mean, I hate to like that, that. Yeah. But that, that was your job to do for me. Right. Like and, my kids, like I, it was my job to wipe their bottom. I don't want them to wipe mine. No, no. And, and, and I know people say, well, don't worry, mom, I'll do it or whatever, but it's tough on the care recipient and it's emotionally and physically hard on the caregiver. Uh, we see all the time with caregivers, family caregivers, who have physical and mental health declines because of the stress and the physical difficulty of being a caregiver. Because remember, caregiving is not the only thing that they're, they're doing. Right. A professional caregiver is working their hours and going home. Family caregivers... You know, they don't get the time off and then they're balancing their other responsibilities and they're taking care of someone they have a personal connection and an emotional connection to. Right. And it, yeah, it's, it's one thing to do it for a week or two, to do it day in and day out, seven days a week, nonstop for what could be years. Well, and you know, I think too, like you don't get a vacation from it when it's your loved one, right? If you're a caregiver and that is your job you can take time off you get your weekends free you right and you're and you're trained in how to protect your back and yes you, absolutely they're trained you know, exactly like all of those things like how do you move someone um whereas like i wouldn't know exactly how to do that um and so that makes sense like that you're how are you providing yourself self-care and enough sleep if you're taking care of your children and you're working a full-time job and you're taking care of your parents, you're trying to make dinner, right? All of those things. When do you? Well, the answer for, for any of your audience that is in that position right now is something called respite care. And yeah, it's going to cost money, but it's going to be a limited amount of money and it's going to be well worth the, the, help that they're going to provide to give you some vacation, quote unquote, respite. Um, I read the story on ltcnews.com and, and respite care can be a home care provider, can be adult daycare. Adult daycare is a wonderful option, even if it's for a day, okay? You drop mom and dad off during the day, you as a caregiver get out, so watching friends, videos, shopping, get whatever, get absolutely. And it's well worth, and it's, it's not really a matter of a cost. It's a matter of, yeah, that's a good idea. We're going to go do that. Um, if you're going to be on vacation for longer than that, there are many assisted living facilities that have temporary, you can be there for a week or two. So there are options for people that are in a situation where they're the primary caregiver. Okay. There's no long-term care insurance. You know, uh, the family is rotating being caregiver, but you need that time for yourself physically and mentally. And if you don't get that time, you're going to find yourself in a quick decline. That's, you know, you don't want to go through. Absolutely not. So, you know, we've talked about the long-term care is not always, and, and it sounds like quite frequently not in a nursing facility. Absolutely. And, and starting that care early provides a better quality of life for everyone involved. 
Yes. Um, so with where can our like can our listeners go to find more information about how to take care of loved ones, options that might be out there for them, or even information about how and the cost of how to buy and the cost of long-term care insurance for their themselves. Yeah, there, there's there's uh, a lot of resources on the internet. Of course, as I say that a lot of the information on the internet is really bad. Right. The internet is the wild, wild west. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. So you have to know, you know, what to look for. Um, I, uh, as far as, you know, there, there's a number of senior related uh, websites, I mean, from big organizations like AARP and uh, other types of similar websites. Um, I use ltcnews.com. It has a lot of uh, resources and tools about long-term care, caregiving, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, as far as long-term care insurance, uh, for those looking to plan, the best time is in your 40s and 50s as part of retirement planning. Uh, my website is radioltc.com. That'll take you right to my website. Uh, there's other specialists like me out there. It's important to utilize a long-term care insurance specialist when shopping and ideally someone that works with all the companies, not just one or two. Um, most financial planners and general insurance agents are not adequately trained uh, or understand how these policies actually get used at the time of claim. And they typically overinsure individuals because they look at, oh, like you did, nursing home. Nursing home costs $8,000 a month. You need a policy that pays $8,000 a month. No, you don't. Okay. A specialist will understand that. Right. And um, there are a handful of states that are now uh, implementing taxes on individuals age 18 and older that do not own a qualified long-term care policy. Uh, the state of Washington implementing their tax in July, 2023, oh. California, New York, Illinois, Minnesota, Michigan are a handful of other states that are moving in that direction. Uh, so not that you get a policy just to avoid a, a tax, but if that's an added bonus, so be it. The other thing people don't know about, there's a number of tax incentives uh, that are available for some people, especially those that are self-employed or own a business um, or itemize and have enough medical-related deductions, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So you look at long-term care planning, uh, and you have to have a plan. Whether it's insurance or something else, you've got to have a plan. You've got to communicate with your family. You've got to let your your family know what your, your preferences and your wishes are. You have to have final documents, medical and financial powers of attorney, living wills. Those types of things are all important. And do we want to think about these things? No. Often, no, we don't. Right. It, it reminds us of our mortality and what a gift you are giving your loved ones by making sure that your wishes are being met, that you're financially protecting them and they don't have to wonder or question what you want or need long-term. That's such a gift. Um, And so having those conversations, creating a will, getting that medical and financial power of attorney, we're all going to die. Just because you get that doesn't mean that you're speeding up that process. It means that you are preparing everyone for that process. And I am a firm believer that anyone 18 or over needs a will, period. You're right. Um, 
And <laughs> if you have children, it's if you have assets, right? All of those things. And but you, you said it. <clears throat> Just because you do those things doesn't mean it's going to happen the next day. It's like people that don't go to the doctor because they think if they go to the doctor, they're going to be sick. Like if they don't go to the doctor, they don't know. it's yeah. not going to happen. No. You know, by going to the doctor and having your regular checkups and your, your lab work and all that kind of stuff, you're going to find out when things happen much sooner when things can be easily treatable as opposed to... I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. We'll just make you comfortable type of thing. Or now we need to rush you to surgery type of thing. Right. Uh, we have to get through our denial. It's very hard mentally for some people to get out of that. But when you live in the real world, you're going to be able to handle things a lot easier as opposed to closing yourself off until crisis happens. Crisis management is never good. It just isn't. Right. And um, just right before I finish with you, um, uh, Matt, what's the leading cause of death in the United States or in the world? Um, oh, oh, wow. I got to write that one down. It's a good one. Every single person that's been born has died. Like, right? I mean, every person or well, that, that every died has been, has been born, I guess is a better yeah. way. But I think that that's important for people to remember is that everyone... And, of, and guess what? If you don't die, you live. And you want your quality of life to be good. Exactly. So it, so, it, it both work. I mean, we will die, but aging will that, happen. Let's make and that quality of life. It's all about quality of life and reducing the stress and burden on our loved ones. Well, so... Matt, thank you so much for joining me and, and talking about this and how it's important to really open this conversation up with our loved ones sooner rather than later. So everyone's on the same page, financially, emotionally, medically speaking. Um, and if you want to find out more about Matt, um, how to connect with him, I'm sure he's also willing to talk to y'all about um, getting your long-term care insurance set up. Um, or if he can't point you in the right direction, I think he's, you're, you can do every state, right? Oh, I, I am licensed in every state. Uh, I work with all the top companies, but I also help people who already have plans, don't have a connection to an insurance agent. They have questions. Um, never, never be afraid to ask. The worst thing anyone will ever tell you is no. And you know what? You're in the exact same spot you were before that's um, right. And chances are, if it's someone that is knowledgeable and a professional like you, if they can't answer the questions, they know where to point you. To Absolutely. Get Absolutely. So find Matt at his website, which is radioltc.com. Yep. Um, and again, thank you so much for joining me. And with that, and we. Oh, I would just you. say, Amanda, it's been fun. I am very glad that you I invited me on your show. I appreciate this conversation. It was eye opening and I learned from this as well. I, really quick before we hang up um, and I end this, like my mom, I said, is moving into that, you know, independent living. Do, um, does long-term care, will they come into an independent living facility? Yes, that you can get in-home care providers that will provide services in independent living. 
obviously when someone's needs become more right. progressed, it's pr probably better than they go to assisted living, but absolutely. And independent living is just your home, just like any other house is. And there are a lot of people in independent li uh, living that will get in-home care as they need it. So just because you move into a retirement community, independent living does not mean that you are no longer able to get that care that you might be able to in your house. Plus you get that added um, social interaction. And you got it. Absolutely. All of those things. So thank you again. Um, and with that, we've reached the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening and learning about how mental health and society meet. Now go out and open um, a conversation and discover how mental health is being experienced in your world. You can find more episodes of The Mental Society in all the places you find your favorite podcast. And please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on anything. You can find other resources and articles by visiting our website, thementalsociety.com. And remember that you're not alone in your struggles. Hope and help are all around you. Until next time, this is Amanda Dolan, wishing you good health, mental, and otherwise.